Welcome back to the Locker Room Podcast, podcast number 31, uh, and the final one in the series of the year. Um, uh, we've got a big one. We've got um, three down legends on the show today. Um, we've got our own Stevie Poocher, coaching consultant with DSS. We've also got two men on that know what it's like to lose an All-Iron Final 2010 uh, beaten finalist down. We've got, um, from that team, we've got Marty Clark and Benny Coulter. Welcome on to the show, lads. Just before we start, uh, I'd just like to thank our sponsors, Ripped, for all the support they've given us all year. Head over to the website there for more information. Um, so, okay, we'll start with you, Marty. Um, what were your general thoughts about the game at the weekend? I thought for the first three quarters, Mayo dominated a lot of aspects of the game. Um, Kickouts, they weren't losing the ball in areas where most teams against Dublin were losing it. They, they weren't turning the ball over as such. Um, and, and they had a lot of guys playing well. Um, but you feared for them because they weren't in the lead. Um, they were never able to get, I think they were two points up before O'Callaghan's goal. Um, that was the furthest they got. And I think from watching Dublin over the last number of seasons, and I know that they have had a big basketball influence in terms of their team defence and their team offence. It's almost that they play the game now like a couple of the American codes where they really know whatever happens for the first three quarters and sometimes even more, they're just absorbing it. They're almost playing within themselves. And then when that crunch time comes, that last period, um, they're in the lead. They generally add to it a bit and then see it out or... Like we saw last year in the final, the drawing final against Kerry, if they really have to come out and go for it in those last parts of games, they do it. Um, and it, it, They're just so good. I think it was a classic example of a team that really don't know how to lose against a team that cannot win a final. Um, and I really did feel that. And Mayo played well, and a lot of their players played well, but still, um, you know, they were fairly convincingly beaten at the end. Uh, yeah, uh, Brenton, did you think that uh, there was any doubt that Dublin were going to lose that game? Was it was it always going to be a Dublin win? I thought at half time, you know, if we understand any chance they needed to begin a couple of points, but you know, in the half time, they were two points down, and Dublin hadn't really started. You know, Mio kicked the lot short in the first half to give a couple of balls away. Any chance that Dublin got, they took it and scored. And I think for me, and we look at it later on, I think for me, the biggest thing that Mio could have done was get the scores on the board. And they didn't do that. And for them to win that game, they had to take every chance. And it just didn't happen for them. As Marty said, for 40, 45 minutes, they matched them everywhere throughout the pitch. But for me, the biggest thing was that Dublin took their chances and Mio didn't. And, and how Mio went in at halftime, two points down, I'll never know. Yeah, I mean, oh, maybe should have made more of that first half. Um, okay, just starting off, uh, obviously Dublin got, got off to a great start there, Marty. Um, and it's something that you want to talk about. Uh, it's Dublin and how they score those goals because they seem to get a lot of goals, uh, either, either with a fist or with a palm. And, and of course, uh, there at the beginning, Dean Rock got that goal after, I think, 15 seconds. 15 seconds are gone. It's, it's, it's about their ability, how they score their goals. Not actually the amount that they get, but how they actually get them. Yeah, I think I think the goals, those two goals in the final, signify how that what this Dublin team's all about. It's team first. It's process driven. 
you don't see the spectacular goals on the big day that we associate with, um, you know, some teams in the all Ireland final. Yes, McCaffrey scored a brilliant goal last year in the final and Merchant after 11 seconds of the second half last year, let's not forget, against Kerry, um, at the, right at the start of that half. But I think this year more than ever, they scored eight championship goals and five of those were with the pound or, or with the fist as O'Callaghan did. And they're working it into areas where they almost cannot miss. Now, I do think in terms of if I was coaching against Dublin and, you know, that, that would be daunting. But if James McCarthy's coming through with the ball like that, um, Dublin scored eight goals and 104 points this year. James McCarthy scored one point. But for all his strengths and for all his ability, kicking a beautiful goal like that, yes, he probably hasn't his locker, but I would have advised the likes of Charlie, um, or sorry, the likes of um, Harrison, who left Dean Rock because that was a defender in him, started an all-iron final, he had to cover his goal, but that left Dean Rock totally open and it allowed McCarthy that hand pass to be so good at, that set for Rock just to pan to the net. Um, and it's actually a more difficult finish that, than Rock makes that look because he had to get it over um, Clark, but back down again. But I would have mentioned in the week, if, if, anyone, if they're coming through, make them take the shot on because it's more difficult than that set across for them to push in that team goal. They call it TGs um, down in, in Dublin, those team goals. Uh, and, and the second one was worked so well as well. Although the set from Scully, he probably overpassed that a little bit. So Callan had a stretch for it and really lash at it with his right hand, where you lose a bit more control over it. Um, but again, they sniffed the goal uh, and, and they took it so well. And I think, you know, watching... Their, their games throughout the year. They're not having these shots um, from, you know, 16, 18 metres out trying to break the net. They're working it in, and if that isn't on, they'll just clip it over the bar and set up again. Uh, and I think it's, it's kind of the same with their point taking. Um, they will only have a shot from that scoring zone. And I think when Mannion came on just before the second half water break, he kicked away from on the uh, Hogan stand side. And it was from way outside the normal scoring zone. And I remember thinking to myself how strange it looked for a Dublin player to kick a wide, maybe seven, eight metres wide from so far out. And maybe that's why Mannion isn't in the team as regularly as a lot of us would like. Um, but obviously he redeemed himself with that free kick. But it's just all about the statistics, the high county scoring zone. And a lot of their scores this year have been from central locations as well, um, which is... Benny will tell you, it's so much easier to, to kick the ball over the bar if you don't have to work it, if you don't have to spin it, if you don't have to um, try and get that work from, from the angles. Anywhere central, um, probably Brian Hard's kick um, was, was the most difficult point they had for the game. And that was just a quality player seizing a big moment. I think once that went over, you knew they weren't going to lose. Um, but outside of that, you know, 104 points in their five championship games and the vast, vast majority from that central channel, no further than 30 to uh, 40 metres out. And I think the final thing I'll say on it is, even in their National League games this year, um, Dean Rock doesn't even have a goal now from outside 45 in the winter games. He, they're, they're just working it because I would say that they would know the percentages. Unless the sun's splitting the rocks, Dean will not be having a goal from there unless work it until we, we get something. And they're so patient and they frustrate defences and... It's, I was chatting to Stevie about this, actually. It's, it's almost something 
because it's so predictable, you know they're not going to be shooting from the wings and they're not going to be shooting from the corners. But how do you defend against it, even though you know, if you try and drop off them too much and only engage when they enter the zone, O'Callaghan, Small, these guys will have too much momentum, they'll go past you or they'll win a free. And they just do it so well. And there's so many guys who are comfortable at taking those scores. And that was the difference because if you look at Mayo, we've mentioned the balls they dropped short, the chances they missed, they were all from outside that scoring zone. There was probably one or two. I know Matty Ruan dropped one on his weaker left foot very early in the game. But outside of that, a lot of them were more difficult attempts that Dublin just don't take on. They'll recycle that and then they'll really get a good look at it from directly in front. So that for me, their goal chances, they only go for goal when they're right on top of the keeper. If they can pass it by, I'm great. And the points um, from those. And they're, they're, they're very good. They're very good, Marty, at playing that ball around the periphery of that D, as you say, they're very, very patient. But just on, on Khan's goal, when Khan gets that ball within 30 metres, he's immediately a goal threat. And the alarm bell has just come on straight away from Mayo. And, you know, I think he started that. He started that. Uh, I think he, he actually cleaned Mullen and he played a little one-two, got it back again. Uh, he, he's just a major goal threat, isn't he, Marty? Yeah, my, my belief is that um, that bounce dummy that he, that he took Mullen out of the game, when he was dropping that ball, he was going for a point. Um, you know, sometimes those best dummies are when he, he thought he was going to get blocked by Mullen, so he quickly pulled it back in, he gave it to Scully, and then he was gone. Um, you know, he, he might say different, but, you know, I, I, any time I was able to pull that dummy off, it's generally you are going for the point on the left, and then you're fearing the block, so instinct takes over. But once he gave that to Scully, he, there was only one thing in their mind. And again, Scully wasn't looking for anything else other than the set, you know, you hear it in, in volleyball, the alley-oop in basketball. They're just teeing it up for their teammate to, to finish it off. And it's, it's amazing how consistent they are at it. Absolutely. And Stevie, uh, Stevie, I think you talked a lot about, you know, that D area and just working the ball around that D area. And under Jim Gavin, they've done it a lot, but it seems to have continued under Desi Farrell. You know, that discipline not to shoot in the wrong areas to make sure that they work it into the scoring zone. Uh, they, they've done that very well on Saturday. Yeah, there's no question, Joe, and it's great insight from Marty there about it because the reality of the situation is, Joe, that, you know, and I said this to Marty actually earlier, this team is driven, in my honest opinion, by, by science and data, you know, and, and, you know, everything is very much, you know, meticulously planned. As Marty talked about the process, you heard Jim Gavin speak about the process on, on so many occasions uh, in his interviews, you know, with the guy stick to the process. And I think it was Martin that actually mentioned this fact that it's probably... It, it probably is 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 lost, Joe, in what how how difficult that is to ingrain that into a group of players and how much discipline it takes for a group of players to really stringently follow that to the letter of the law. Because I've had teams in the past, Joe, at club at county level that will do everything, even schools level, everything they're asked to do. But it doesn't last that long, Joe, you know, and after a couple of seasons or a season or two, you start to see wee things creep in. Things that maybe didn't exist in the first season or the second season and that's not like you know any any sort of stigma attached to the management team or the job they're doing I think it's just the mindset of the player because maybe the players got comfortable and they know that they're comfortable and I think one of the biggest things I took out of of, of that Joe that mentality is Dean Rock Dean Rock's 30 years of age in 2012 Dean Rock was dropped from the panel by uh, Pat Gilroy in 2013 he was recalled to the panel by uh, Jim Gavin's first year because he had a really good season uh, with the club in, in 2012, 2013. 
In 2015, Joe, he was taken off at half time in the final. And in tw since 2015, in the last five finals, he has averaged three points from play. His free-taking stats have gone through the roof. Martin has talked about it there uh, uh, separately about the fact that, you know, they don't take that high percentage or that low percentage free kick, sorry, I should say, which is outside the scoring range. Like, Dublin had three or four free kicks that even Martin, for example, himself would have said, I'm hitting that, you know, I'm going to put that over. And probably, you know, 99% of the time would have put it over from just outside the 45. But as Marty said, they're still high risk. You know, they're still low percentage scorings. So they're thinking to themselves, well, look, we're going to work something. And I've seen that happen in Marty three or four times. And you're correct, you flagged that up because the first thing that I thought about is Dean Rock not going to hit that. I was sort of thinking in the back of my head. But the point probably I'm going to come to end, Joe, is that the competition for places within the squad is just so severe. Marty talked about Mannion coming on. And I, I just sensed, even in the first half, I sensed that Paddy Small felt there was a timer on his head. I felt Paddy Small knew that he's going to be replaced by Mannion. And I've seen a couple of times Paddy Small nearly dying to get a shot away, dying to get a score away, you know, just nearly to prove himself and to keep himself on that pitch. And I think Mannion's probably doing the same. He's coming on to prove a point. And, you know, I'm going to get a point here in the All-Ireland final. And, you know, it's, it's, Dean Rock probably has has had that competition in the background and it's it's actually probably in a strange way made him become so efficient at what he does and and I don't think Dean Rock gets the credit he deserves but in general Joe it's it's just the players it's just the players and how driven they are and I think the competition for places is a massive factor not massive okay um what we'll do now is we'll, we'll move on to Mayo because we haven't we haven't kind of discussed Mayo um and Bratton I'll, I'll just move to you um Mayo's mistakes you know they did make a lot of mistakes and you know they couldn't replicate the first half performance in the second half obviously Dublin ran away with it during the last 20 minutes do you do you think that Mayo actually threw this game away and it was there for for the taking for Mayo well I watched the game today again the first half did four short two block two wide and they give away a sideline ball O'Donoghue had one short Colin O'Callaghan got a point from it Loftus kicked a long ball in to Killian O'Connor uh, Colin got the goal out of that and sideline ball given away. Kilkenny get the point. Ruan kicked the ball short. Kilkenny get a point. So kicking the ball away in the first half, going for scores. And Dublin scored one, three out of them wasteful shots. So for me, I definitely think that, that Mayo kicked that game away. You know, the giveaway, easy ball in the final third. And Dublin punished them. And they punished them badly. First half, as I say there, Dublin kicked one, three from Mayo's wasteful shots and goal. And Dublin don't do that. Like Dublin don't waste the ball. And as you as you said there, uh, I think after twenty five minutes or so, uh, was Mayo not eight, not eight? Dublin won three, so it was eight scores. It was eight scores to four. What about the uh, what about the spare man, Breton? Do you think they made much use of of the spare man? I think it was the first ten minutes of the second half. I'm not quite sure. I think it could have been even scores in that ten ten minute period, but. Do you think they used Aidan O'Shea properly? I think they, they kicked maybe one ball into him and I think he might have got a free from him. I'm not sure. But do you think yeah. they used the spare man well? No, definitely not. Uh, they kicked, I think they kicked one ball into Aidan O'Shea. What I would have done, started the second half, put Aidan O'Shea in the edge of the square and put ball into him. You know, they were a man up. It was for 10 minutes. And for me, I just didn't think they'd done enough in that period of the game. And that, for me, it was a massive period of the game for me. Oh, to go on and win the game, push on, maybe try and get it back to a draw and then kick on from there. And for me, I just don't think they used Aidan O'Shea well. And I don't think O'Shea had a great game, but putting him in the edge of the square, if you're putting him in, 
you got to get the ball in, you got to get it in early, and they just didn't do that. And even in the second half, they were very, very wasteful. They had three short and three wide, and you know, out of them, six opportunities. Dublin kicked five scores. Uh, Loftus kicked the ball wide. Scully got a point from the resulting kick out. McLaughlin got blocked down. Kilkenny went up the field to get a point. Killian O'Connor, he fisted a handy ball over the sideline. Howard went up the field to get that point. Uh, Storm Cohen, you know, he kicked the ball short. Kilkenny went up the field to get the point. So all of these possessions that Mio had, Dublin punished them. And they punished them badly. Out of the whole game, where Mio were giving the ball away, uh, Dublin punished them and kicked one one eight. You know you cannot do that again, Dublin. You just simply cannot do that from from positions that Mio could have scored. And I seen an interview with James Horn after the game, uh, Marty. James Horn was saying that you know one of the reasons they could beat was because of Mio's poor finishing. Uh, you said Brenton they dropped a few balls into the keepers keepers hands. He also says Dublin Dublin's fitness, the loss of Paddy Durkin. But Marty, do you think uh, Mayo could have won that game if those Incidents had it went right for them. For me, the, the finishing is is a group card factor. I I know um, Mayo scored five twenty against Tipperary in the semi final. A lot of those guys have played there more than anyone outside of Dublin, but they haven't played there anywhere near the amount of Dublin. When the pressure comes on, like Dublin put you under, and the glance up at the goals is a little bit um, more abrupt because you're under such pressure. All crazy things happen. Croke Park is not like a, a conventional ground. Benny's played there more than me. He'll tell you. The surroundings, the dimensions, everything is different. And that's why these, the second best group of players in Ireland this, this year, that has an impact on them, in my opinion. Um, once the heat is on, they are, their bearings is just not as in as the Dublin players are, because Dublin don't make those mistakes. Um, and for me, that's a big factor, particularly the drop short. Um, you, you just like for me, the home ground advantage. It, it is it is massive. It, it is absolutely massive. Dublin players know it so well. And my solution is is not. It's a national stadium. The final has to be played there. The semis too. Yes, but get more teams into Croke Park throughout the year. Give every other team four sessions in Croke Park a year. There's seven games in the national league. Have the three at home, three away. The other in Croke Park. Get teams in there, in there, in there, because Dublin just play it so well. And I remember my first number of times playing at Croke Park. Your eye isn't in. End of story. By the time we got back again after we beat Kerry in 2010, I played there for the minors a bit. Um, but by the time you're there against Cork, because it's your third time in a close proximity, you're starting to work it out. Look at even Cuckoo against Cora Finn in that final. The chances that they missed, the threes they missed. They just it's the only stadium environment as such in the country, um, the, the only actual genuine stadium, and it, it does funny things to your to your um, to your shooting at both ends. Um, at, it, it's probably just a theory, but for me, you know, if that game maybe was played at Castle Bar, would would Mayo have missed those many chances? My my answer to that probably no. Uh, Stevie, Stevie, um, Mayo's inexperience of of playing at Crow, in Crow Park. Obviously, D- Dublin, all those players have played in Crow Park many, many times. Do you think that's unfair? And do you think it was one of the reasons why Mayo didn't actually kick on there in the last 20 minutes? No, I don't think it's unfair, but I can see Marty's point as well, Joe. You know, and it's very interesting that Marty makes that point because it just sort of casts my mind back to even 2018 when, when you know, Carlo went to Crow Park those couple of occasions twice that year. 
and we had the third high score in Ireland playing for Paul Brodnick, who hit free kicks with his left foot like Martin off the deck, and couldn't score in Crow Park, you know, and it's, it's actually very interesting, Marty, you make that point, because when I think back to that now, chances that he would have struggled with that day and missed, and obviously, you know, first time playing at Croker, you know, obviously it's difficult. And then obviously, as Marty says, you know, some of the younger players, possibly Marty, Tommy Conroy, for example, I thought had a very, very quiet game for his standards. Um, you know, Killian O'Connor probably at this stage shouldn't have any excuses at all. And I thought he, he was reasonably good. I think he only missed one free kick. But um, yeah, some of the younger lads, or even Ryan O'Donoghue snapped at one. He snapped at one as well. You know, he's... It is, it is obviously, as Marty said, rightly said there, you know, it's a daunting place for everybody, but I totally, totally echo his views on exposure to Crow Park. Like, teams need to have that experience, you know. They need to be given that experience no matter what division they're in, whether it's Division 4 or Division 1. It makes sense. They've proved this year in Crow Park that the pitch can handle 24 games in seven weekends, you know, three or four games a weekend over the course of seven weekends. And the pitch, okay, it was probably the worst condition we'd seen it uh, from, from a surface point of view, but it was still the best surface in Ireland by a country mile. So it can handle the traffic. You're playing the league at a different stage of the year. You're only talking about, you know, what, five or six league games, you know, over the course of, of the National League. So... I totally agree with what Marty's saying. I think we talk about finance, we talk about money, we talk about population. One of the simplest things that can be solved with Dublin right now is to take them out of Crow Park, you know, and, and not to, to have that familiarity because as Marty rightly said, like it's, it's, it's a, it is their home. You know, they know every angle of it. They know every avenue of it and they're a different animal. And lads, I know this might sound a bit simplistic, like, but even look at their scores this year. Like they beat Westmeath by 10 points, 10 points, right? in the championship this year. But the game was played in Port Leash. If they had played Westmeath and Crow Park, double that. You know, just double that. Like and they beat they beat Leash by twenty three points. They beat Cavan out the gate, the Ulster Champions by 18, 19 points. And you're telling me Westmeath are within ten of them. They're not. The fact that the game was actually played outside of Crow Park actually was a slight advantage for Westmeath that evening, you know. And listen, I'm not saying that Dublin weren't good that night. There were there were still elements of their game were excellent. But it does prove the point that when you take them out of Croker, they are slightly you know, more vulnerable, but vulnerable is maybe the wrong word, but they're maybe just not as slick and as efficient and as sharp as they are when they're in Croker. So I, I totally echo what, what Marty's saying there, Joe, totally. Yeah, I think, I think Stevie, um, while maybe Dublin aren't as sharp outside of it, certainly the opposition don't have that wow factor and don't have that issue that, that, that sometimes you, you get the feeling they do in Croker. I don't know, maybe Benny, you played there for, as a minor and, and everything else. How did you find it? Yeah, well, everybody wants to go and play in Crow Park, but definitely I do think Dublin have a major advantage. Like, if you're going to beat Dublin, I can't see anybody beating them in Crow Park in the next four or five years. I just can't see it. Because, as you say, Marty, the pitch it plays bigger. It definitely plays a lot bigger. Dimensional-wise, it's probably the same size, but it plays bigger. But, as Stevie says there, any chance any team has of taking the dubs, it's, it's out of Crow Park. But in Crow Park, next four or five years, I can't see anybody touching them. I really can't. They're so, so good in Crow Park. And listen, they have an advantage that they get to play so many times in Crow Park. Why not take them out to the National League? And as you say, Marty, that other teams play in Crow Park and give them, you know, that familiarity of getting to play in Crow Park, which which teams don't get. Like from the likes of Calvin there, they probably haven't played in Crow Park in 15 years. You know, yeah. how's that an advantage? Or it's, it's, it's just not right. Like, get other teams in and maybe get uh, Dublin out for, for all their National League yeah. games. Yeah, there, is talk, there is talk of... Uh, them getting them allowing one team a team each to play at Crow Park in the National League. Sorry, Marty, you were going to come in there. 
no, no, no. Sorry, you. I just like Danny played a lot of international rules games as well. But the 2010 pre Group Park game, we trained in Group Park twice, and you know, as a player, that experience in an empty stadium training, um, it's something I still remember. You know, and and I remember being down at the hill and down at the Davin stand and getting used to practicing free kicks, kicking the ball. It's it's a brilliant experience, but you know you can see before the game if you're if you're ever at games and you can see the dubs out walking around the pitch having their chat with their headphones on, and often the opposition are coming around and they're nearly have their phones out taking pictures of themselves in there. You know, but look, Dublin won the All Ireland because they're by far the best team. Yeah. Um, but there's no like, I very much so I know from my Australian rules experience too. The home ground advantage is, is is absolutely huge. If you have to go to the teams in Perth and Brisbane, it's a totally different game than it is in the MCG. So something that I always find, you know, was, was big. Yeah, and I think also, I think, uh, Stevie, you wanted to talk to talk about uh, Dublin's game management. Maybe that feeds into it too, playing at Crow Park. Uh, but I think their, their game management, Stevie, uh, probably kicked in a, a wee bit earlier because of the black card. And I think you tweeted... Uh, during the during the half time break, just to watch out for Dublin's game management and what they do against uh, against you know with the one man less. Uh, what do you think of Dublin's manage, game management? Well, M- Marty Marty knows exactly what I'm going to say here because me and him had this discussion a few years ago when we worked together uh, at, at a club in Down in St John's. There we done we done a wee bit of work. Marty was obviously there for a couple of years. I'd I'd give him and Francia a few sessions or two, but. We talked in one of the games, Marty, and you probably remember this, like that there was a bit of a lead at half time and you're coming out after half time and you're playing in a bit of a breeze or whatever it happens to be in the circumstances. You just more or less say, look, lads, nothing happens for 10 minutes. You know, kill the game. You know, make it difficult for the opposition. Keep the ball for long periods. Bide your time. Time waste. You know, take your time over free kicks. Now, here's an interesting one for these lads, right? And this guy, Colin Trainer on Twitter, Colin's excellent. I, I've just started following him recently, actually. He's a... Uh, He's an Armagh native, but he's he's doing statistics for, for Gaelic football, you know, sort of data-driven Gaelic football stuff. And he just tweeted today, and I'll read it out to you, man, and I'll, I'll get your opinion on it. In the entire first half on Saturday, I have recorded six possessions lasting more than 60 seconds. Four out of the first 10 possessions during the 10 minutes at the start of the second half lasted more than 60 seconds. Is this a coincidence? Now, for me, Brian Hard's got the line. So at half time, in the first lads, in the first five minutes of the second half, the ball was kicked back to Stephen Cluxon three times. That's not a coincidence, Bryce. That is not a coincidence. You know, now, they controlled the game. They dictated the game. They played the game in their terms. But, Joe, I'm going to go to a piece of game management earlier in the game. I'm going to go to a piece of game management, excuse me, after the first two kickouts. Dublin scored the goal and Mayo responded with a point. And then Mayo, Dublin lost the next two kickouts long. The next two kickouts long. And it was Mayo's third score in a row. And Stephen Cluxon went short with a possession, uh, with a restart. And it led to a, a small foul, which led to a Dean Rock score. They lost two long kickouts again in the 22nd minute. And Cluxton went short again. And he was very, very unlucky to be blown up because the ball had just touched the 21-yard line and it was given as a hot ball. They lost another long kickout in the 29th minute. And from the next kickout, Cluxton decided to go short. Real high-risk ones. You know, really short ones where are, you know, the pressure's on, may have the press on. And Dublin ended up working a score from it. So every time they lost a kickout or two, 
his management and his game management was right. We need possession. We need possession. And there was no panic. There was no you could you couldn't see any stress. It wasn't revert to type. How many teams, Marty and Benny, have you seen in the past with kickouts in particular that that you lose four or five and all of a sudden it's revert to type? Goalkeeper goes into his shell. Everybody out the field starts to panic. Along the line, there's panic, and every kickout's kicked out, and it's kicked out, and it's kicked out, and it's success. I've been there before. I've seen it happen, and it's it's and it's very hard to stop that and stem that. But you have a game manager in Cluxon on the pitch on his own, Joe, who who is a phenomenal a phenomenal a captain, but also nearly a mini manager on the playing field. Sorry, Benny. Yeah, no, that's the big thing. Cluxon, like, he doesn't panic. He's so so good. You know, the players out the field, you can see it. Like they trust him. They totally trust Cluxon. So you say them two long kickouts, they went long, they lost them, but they knew not to panic because the man between the sticks, they knew to trust them and trust the process. And that's why they're so good because they trust each and every one of them. And brains, they're very, very smart. Each and every Dublin player, they're very smart. They don't give the ball away, they keep it. You know, they know what to do with the ball and when to do it. So very, very smart players. There was a the moment, Joe. Yeah, sorry, moment, go ahead, Stevie. Yeah. There was a moment just after half time, right? And I would, I've watched it back a couple of times now, right? And it's a very, very interesting one. The very first possession of the game, Dublin went at Mayo. They went at them, right? In the second half, they didn't go at them. They actually started to play the ball about and they made sure, you can actually see McCarthy pointing at one stage to put, to put it back to Cluxton. So mm-hmm. they brought Cluxton out and used him nearly as a sweeper. So they weren't playing with, with 14 outfield players. They were playing with 15. You know, they, they'd lost Brian Hard, but they still had an extra man in defence as a, as a quarterback to dictate the play, right? And from that, for two and a half minutes, they had the ball and it led to a foul and it actually led to a backdoor cut that it actually should have been a goal from. Conor Callan slipped. And that actually, that bout of possession, you imagine if you were Mayo coming out at the start of half time, all the emphasis like, we're going to stay in this game, we've got, we've got an extra man, blah, blah, blah. For two and a half minutes, you don't get your hands in the ball and Dublin carve you open for a goal chance like, you know, it's 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 unreal, and it's 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 testament to them. Their game management is just on a different planet than every other team. And and Marty, just as Stevie says, their their game management it doesn't happen in the last 10, 15 minutes. It happens throughout the game. It's it's holistic. Whereas other teams, when you say game management, they think last five, ten minutes. Whereas with Dublin, it's throughout the whole game, Marty. Yeah, it is. I think with the black card incident, it was just unfortunate from a Mayo perspective that it happened right before the best backroom team in Ireland got 20 minutes to prepare what to do for it. And, you, you know, obviously, if it happens in general play, you might get two or three minutes where there's a bit of organising. But, um, you know, Dublin were magnificent in that 10 minutes. Um, I just, I think Dublin, this Dublin team has seen it all before. They, they've saw teams pack it out and they've beaten that. They've had teams go man man essentially, like Kerry and, and Mayo, Something, somebody needs to try something with a decent team that's completely new. Whatever it is, something out of completely crazy, 10 men up, whatever it is, um, because they've, they've seen it all, they've, they've learned from it all, they've planned for it all. And it's, it's until like, like the Jim McGuinness 2014, where it was, it was novel, it was intense, it was well executed. Until, and somebody will come up with this, and a team will execute it. And... It, you know, but Marty, Marty, I can tell you, I can tell you now from experience, ten men up doesn't work because we tried it against one <laughs> of the minors and something. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but as you say, Marty, everybody's tried everything. As you say, everybody they packed out the defence. Mio pushed up the idea. Carry push up and then man to man, dropping ten back. 
But Benny, so Benny, can I ask you a question, right? Has anybody gone? Jim McGuinness has, has Jim McGuinness has hinted at this. Has, has anybody gone, right? And I know I think, and this is the thing for me, lads. You look at soccer, right? You look at rugby. You look at different sports. Nobody cares how their team sets up to get a result. But mm-hmm. in Gaelic football, for some reason, there's a narrative out there that nobody wants to be associated with a, with a really negative style of play or a real attritional style of play. And has there anybody, Benny, really gone now with, a, with what I would call an ultra-defensive, aggressive intensity? McGuinness talks about this defensive intensity. And listen, it, there is a, a, obviously a limitation to it, but I'm talking about one of the more superior teams that is there stages of the game where they could go Benny with a really aggressive defensive structure that has got serious intensity as Marty talked about in around that D pick their moments you know stay in the game for as long as possible and bring them down the stretch with 15-20 to go and then maybe go Benny with the press I don't I don't know I don't know probably the closest team that has done that Stevie would have been Tyrone but you have done it there in the 2018 like, and you pushed them all the way in that first half and it was very very close and you had a lot of possession that game and as you say like if they get the semi-final or a final, would the likes of Tyrone go 15 behind the ball, you know, and really go for it? They haven't, they haven't went all the defensive, but to me, the closest team, I think it was, it was Tyrone down in Oma. I think Dublin ended up beating the six points, but the first half performance you give against them was, was outstanding. Morty, 15 men behind the ball, do you think that's the only way that you could beat Dublin? And obviously, if you've got the quality forwards that, that maybe the likes of Kerry have, is that the only way you can beat them? If you've built a lead, Joe, yes, I do. I think if you've built a lead, um, if you've built a lead of four or five points and it's it's getting towards the final quarter, I think it's something that um, you know teams could potentially do. But but the thing I'm talking about is why their game management is so good is because there's only three or four conundrums can be thrown at them and they know them all by now. It's it's until some mastermind and he is out there with, with the team and it will happen. Um, and it's probably happening at club level already, but whatever it is, and we don't know it here now, or else we, you know, we'd be, we'd be in a big job. Um, but that, that, that's what I'm thinking. That, that, that's what I think. I'd like to see them when they're, when they're thrown with this totally left field, something that's working on a team that's totally buying into it. Well, hopefully, hopefully it, it does happen in not too distant future. Um, lads, I'd be interested in here, just moving on, I'd be interested in here on um, on some of the big decisions in the game, the referee, uh, David Coldrick, um, did he bottle it there for the Fitzsimmons challenge? I think it was on Lee Keegan. Um, what was that black. the wrong decision? Should he have got a red card? I uh, definitely think it was a black card. Like, how he did not see that from, from where he was standing. Black card, possibly red card. You know, he got it so, so wrong. If it had been the other way around, you, I guarantee you now, that would have been a red card if it had been the other way around. And also, no, also as well, Benny, he should have called it. Also, as well, Benny, the, the, the Cooper, the Johnny Cooper one and Aidan O'Shea as well, I thought was, was borderline yeah. black as well. But they're very good, Joe, at what I would call nearly the three quarter foul. You know, they get away with that so much, but be under no illusions. And I don't know, Marty, Benny, if you picked up on this, like there's a couple of really, there was a couple of real cynical fouls from them as well that are really like hands up. I'm really sorry. Sorry, David. You know, it didn't really mean that one. Even James McCarthy early in the game. You know, just a wee check, just a wee hand across the shoulder, just a wee subtle, just a wee subtle trip or a wee subtle body check, particularly in the forward line as well. I'm actually surprised that the rabbi took so long for 
Robbie McDade to be the victim of the black card because their screening in the forward line at times is so blatant. Like, and but they're brilliant at it. They're brilliant at it. It's something that they work on. The screening is is something that they've worked on, like a basketball type movement where a player comes in the loop, Joe, and the man who's handing him the ball nearly has the ass out. And he's just given that defender a yard or two more to actually have to step around him. And listen, it's not, you know, it's, it's probably technically not a foul. The other night it was because McDade knew what he was doing. But there's no doubt that they get the rub of the green when it comes to the big decisions. But it's interesting, like, as soon as Cooper picked up that yellow card, he, he materialised an injury and he was substituted then straight away. You know, and it killed a bit of time, a bit more time. And, you know, so they don't take any chances, no matter how good the defender is. If that had been Fitzsimmons, who's probably their best, in my opinion, their best man marker. If it had been him, he still would have got hooked as well, you know. But listen, there's some little vulnerabilities there defensively, I think. But as Marty said, it's, it's trying to find something that, that can catch them. Uh, Marty, Marty, according to the, to the rule of the law, if it's a shoulder to the chest, and it was with some considerable force, if you, if you watch it again, the Fitzsimmons challenge on Lee Keegan, according to the letter of the law, that's a red card. Yeah, as Benny said, he was in a brilliant position, Coldrick. And look, when, when guys are moving at that speed and, and, and Lee's a big man, potentially it was just a, a poor decision. He felt it was there instead of there where it was. Um, that could be his defence, I'm sure. He would have heard the, the impact. Keegan would have been, you know, that, that would have been railing and that, oh, that real drive because he got the wind totally knocked out. And it was incredible that he got back up from that because he was totally set up um and i i just personally think it was a it was a poor decision by Goldrick because he potentially thought that, that it was a shoulder because of his angle because keegan was actually turned away from him and it came yeah. there uh, that's the only excuse i can make from it and if that's the letter of the law well then it was it was definitely a, a wrong decision but like keegan getting up and playing on from that like shows you what what a warrior he is and how those male guys are getting up you know, every morning still after losing so many finals is is beyond me, you know, and if they're not bottlers, they just cannot beat Dublin. Can I ask uh, Joe, can I ask Marty and Benny a question? And yeah. it's just something that Marty's touched on there. You talk, Marty, about the Mayo players and it's something that I don't think they probably get enough respect for. How did you guys feel in 2010? I know that's a silly question because obviously you're disappointed, but talk, talk to us about actually the extent of the disappointment and how long it took you to get over it, if you even have got over it, Benny Morning. Yeah, the, the longer it goes on, the worse it near, nearly gets. You know, you look back at it, and it's just devastating even to the day. You know, as Morty said, how them boys can keep soldiering on and on and on after losing seven, eight finals. Like, it's, it's testing to them. They lost a few minor finals too on the 21. So, you know, it's, it's so hard to, to move on from 2010. That was one defeat for us. Like for, but for me, oh, for them boys to take five and six defeats in finals, it was kind of a heartbreaking. And as I say, the longer it goes on, Stevie, the nearer worse it gets. Like. Artie, is that something you think about every day, the 2010 final defeat? I had to leave to go to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> to get over it, Joe. <laughs> but um, I think, as Benny says, you know, it does get worse as it goes on. It, it gets worse as it goes on and the, the thing about um you know the defeat against cork um the people the people of down actually have accepted that defeat and accepted that that season was was um a gift from that group of players um and i have never had a down person um say a bad word about that final about anything um it's, it's just probably the players that are stewing um but i think in mayo 
the, the pain of those fans because of you know what football means to them. Um, it just must be so difficult for them guys to continuously lose in, in that fashion. Uh, like for them to keep going because I, I personally wouldn't be able to go on in my opinion I wouldn't be able to get up and go to the gym and, and, and get back to the pitch for a National League it simply would be too hard Some Joe, yeah. those guys have lost five or six All Ireland finals haven't they Stevie? Yeah they have Joe and, and that's something that I was going to say to the two boys like you see what happened in 2010 right I, I was I was involved in our under 21s that year obviously and you know you'd have, you'd have, you'd have more of a vested interest in the run and particularly I was actually managing Martin at the time and then Rake as well. And, you know, you had, you had James and James Colligan and Brendan and Martin and John representing the, the county. So you had a huge interest in it. Like, you know, personally, I had a huge interest in it anyway. And I felt the pain as well that day in Crow Park and I wasn't technically involved. Like, but, you know, from that point of view, down that year, lads, came out of nowhere, you know, and went on a run through the back door. The question I probably have, Joe, is like, I don't think that can happen again. You know, I, I don't think that can happen again of a team outside the top four boys. I don't know what you think, but at the minute, lads, I see four or five counties. I see Dublin at the top, and then I see Mayo, I see Kerry, I see uh, possibly Tyrone and possibly Donegal. And you're only saying possibly Tyrone and Donegal, you know, because there's obviously transition happening there at the minute. But Mayo, Kerry, Dublin and me, can that happen again? I just, what, what do you think? What do you think, Marty or Benny? Well... I suppose you can look at Tipperary and, and Kevin, but they never got to the final. Like that year we got to the final. We had a brilliant run. We had very little injuries. We had Marty back. You know, I think from the first game we played in the National League till the final, we had maybe 13 boys that started that first National League against Kerry. Uh, they played in the final, or Kildare, played the first National League game, and 13 of those boys played in the final. So it was a great season, and we had no injuries. Can a team do that? We were in Division 2. Can a team come from Division 2 and get to an Ireland final? You know, beating some of the bigger teams along the way. At the minute, I can't see it. And I agree with Stevie there. You're looking at Dublin number one, and then you have Mayo and Kerry. And after that, you know, Tyrone for me are the next best. And then after that, I think every team in, in Ireland can beat one another. You know, from, from Tyrone down to your Tipperaries, your Cabins, you know, even a couple of Division 4 teams. Any team can turn each other over on any given day. But to beat Dublin or to get to a final, I just cannot see it. I can't see it happening in this day and age. Maury, what are your thoughts on that? See, I agree with the two, with the two boys. Um, I really do. The, the gap's getting bigger and and those, you know, D Dublin are, are well ahead. Um, Kerry, for me, are ahead of Mayo. Um might sound silly to say that, but they, you know that game they lost was the perfect storm that we're trying to see as their way. Dublin can get beat, but maybe if they're on a an opposition ground and on a horrible night, and the opposition get a late late goal potentially. But Kerry for me will will be the next team outside of Dublin, and I know that it's six in a row now. But just looking at it, Kerry have thirty seven titles, Dublin thirty. Now could be the chance to to, to turn that over, which would be incredible, really given how far Kerry were ahead before this started. This episode is sponsored by RIPT, who have come on board with us. RIPT is a platform that connects coaches with their clients and athletes. Using RIPT, coaches can create individualized training programs and monitor their clients' progress via the RIPT app. 
at www.ripped.app where they can track exercise, training loads, and very importantly, well-being data. Ripped is used by high-performance teams such as Swim Ireland and Kerry GA, and also by gyms and online coaches to manage their clients. We're using it ourselves for the new DSS online training service, where you can have your own personal trainer and SNC coach to help you get fit and ready for the season, or just lose weight and get fit. We have a special offer for coaches over on our website where you can get two months free access, access to Ripped. Just head over to our podcast page on dailysportscience.com forward slash pod and you'll find a link to sign up for that two months free access. If you'd like some more information on Ripped as a service, just go to www.ripped.app to read more there. Thanks again, guys, for your support. The Locker Room Podcast is brought to you by dailysportscience.com, an online elite coaching and sports science service, membership service. Uh, you can search all the information and services over at dailysportscience.com. you see everything over there. I'm here with Ross and Joe. Lads, there's loads of stuff going on at the moment. Ross, you, we'll run through really quick. Ross, you've got a really interesting off-season coaches CPD series, video series for the members. Yeah, yeah, really good kids. So six part um, uh, presentation, six part presentation, six different topics that are kind of out there on social media and stuff. And I'm kind of, let's say, doing three to four of them and, and you guys are taking the baton on that. So really good so far. We've had two released based on the individual training session and periodization. Uh, recorded one recently around developing the individual player. We've got one around the physical corner and then you guys are taking over the tactical side and also the environment and culture. So really good um, opportunity, especially with things going on in Ireland at the minute to learn and, and keep sharing information. So really enjoyed that, really good feedback. Um, and they'll be released throughout the next six weeks. Great stuff, Joe. There's loads of Gaelic football and hurling practices gone up as well. Yeah, there is, Kieran. Uh, every every week there's uh, there are Gaelic uh, practices going up, <clears throat> and I know that Ross talked about. Um, I think I'm doing CPD session four, which is how to set up a team tactically. So um, uh, I'm putting up uh, some kickouts there, for instance, and some uh, defensive structures that coaches can kind of get, get used to in the off season and plan plan to bring in maybe maybe next season. So yeah, lots of stuff there uh, coming up on the website in terms of practices. Good stuff. We've got an off-season uh, GA program as well in terms of gym program and fitness and running program as well, uh, designed by Ben Smalley, our sports scientist as well, um, and overlooked by Ross as well, head of performance. So that's really good for all members. So they're all exclusive members. The last two things to mention then is the locker room webinar series which is closed for exclusive for our dss members so that's every second monday night we bring on an expert to do a presentation a powerpoint presentation through zoom everyone can dial in live and then ask some questions as well it's been really popular and it's, it's a brilliant new initiative we're always coming up with these new initiatives the last thing then to mention is the buddy referral scheme so that's where a member can uh, send it send a referral to their friend the friend will get 25% off the sign-up fee, and then the person, the member, will get access to one of the GA positional profile videos. So, Ross, we did them over the last few weeks. I think there's some good content there. 
class content i think it's a great initiative instead of just you know normally the person who re refers someone doesn't get anything and the, the new member gets whatever the offer is but this stuff is gold dust in my opinion you know you get info on what uh, each position essential is and what you're looking for for each player and how to coach it so it gives you real good information on on developing the individual players in your team yeah exactly and remember for members it's less than 15 quid a month ross that's less than a ross bennett haircut once a month to cut back those golden locks and less than, I think, the book I wrote four years ago still hasn't creeped up to 15 quid. So <laughs> you're getting so much for that, for sure. Yeah, and this hair, I only get a haircut once a year, Keir, so 15 pounds a year is not bad, I don't think. Yeah, the girls in the house here, Ross, they just said, what is the point in Ross Bennett if he doesn't have long, flowing, blonde hair? They get disappointed exactly. when it's cut. I know, it's, it's coming back, it's coming back. <laughs> so yeah, the book, so for the price of Ross Bennett's book, which you should all go out and, and buy, I've forgotten the name of it now at the moment. But... I can tell you, kids, in injury <laughs> prevention and rehabilitation. Now, we never knew I was going to plug that on here, but I need to <laughs> Christmas is coming up, I need some sales. Christmas is coming. I've got two copies of them here, Ross, so we can maybe, we can sell that off secondhand to Joe. He might, yeah, he but... might be able to use it. You need them for the doorstop in those heavy doors of yours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Joe, I was just about to say that you, you'd need um, you'd need a, a few quid for the online dating, but the, your, those days are over for you. Uh, yeah, I think they are cured. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. Good to hear. It. Good he tried to, hear. to keep it quiet, but those weekends in the New Forest, we knew you wasn't going on your own, Joe. Exactly. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was dodgy. It was dodgy. 15 quid, Joe, per month. Not much. Yeah. Yeah, 15 quid a month, yeah. I've, I've had a look at, uh, I think, four or five of the positions, and I've never, ever seen, uh, you know, uh, as much detail in terms of the different positions in, in football, in Gaelic football, broken down into so much detail. So there's lots of, uh, as Ross said, it's gold dust. There's lots of great learning points there for coaches yeah. and managers. Great, good stuff, good stuff. Okay, uh, enjoy the rest of the episode, everybody. The podcast, remember, dailysportscience.com and head over... Um, we've actually started a new offer for listeners to the podcast. So just use pod20 as a voucher code to sign up membership and you get 20% off as well. So for any new members out there or relapse members, just use pod20 and you get 20% off membership. A good time, as the lads say, Ross was saying with all the new CPD and everything. So a good time to join up. Okay, enjoy. <laughs>